Welcome to Eudaimonia, the podcast that is all about flourishing. Plug in, relax, and get ready for the goodness as we explore the traits and practices that can help you thrive in life. With your host, Kim Forrester. Grant Shriver is a publisher, editor, best-selling author, and founder of Shriver Media. He's also the founding editor of Real Leaders, a leadership magazine that focuses exclusively on sustainability and ethical business. As part of his work exploring what it means to be a real leader, Grant has interviewed luminaries such as Richard Branson, Sheryl Sandberg, Oprah Winfrey, and Forrest Whitaker. Now, it's my pleasure to be chatting with Grant online today to explore what it truly means to be a leader in the 21st century and to learn how we can each activate the real leader that resides within us. Grant, thank you so much for being here with me. How are things there in Portland, Oregon? They're great. A little rainy and cold. Not what I'm used to coming from Cape Town, South Africa, where we've had a drought for four years, but surviving. Very glad to see lots of water around me. Now, wanted to talk to you about leadership because you have obviously spent quite some years now uh, pursuing the idea of leadership, exploring the idea of leadership and um, delving deeper into what it is that we hold to be true about leadership. And what's interesting is that in a Forbes interview a couple of years ago, you stated that the concept of leadership is changing. So firstly, what do you think is some of the most pervasive outdated concepts of what it means to be a leader? Well, one of the biggest is the fact that, you know, telling people do what I say because I say so doesn't really have as much weight as it used to. Um, Maybe up until 20, 30 years ago, and certainly uh, in history, that's always been the way leadership has been seen and and how it's worked. People have just been given instructions and act on it. Um, What's happening now is, uh, and social media has probably had a large part to play in this, is that people have discovered their own personal power. And individuals are suddenly realizing that they can actually do things that previously only CEOs, executives, and politicians used to be able to do. So people have a voice for the very first time in a very broad way, and they can broadcast around the world and share their opinions. So people are less inclined to be told what to do and just follow blindly. Yes. uh, It's not just the personal voice that's, that's happened and come about as well. It's also the fact that the whole value of money has changed. Um, Before in leadership, the corporations and and individuals with the most money used to win. It used to be a a no contest. If you had lots of money, you would be able to do what you wanted to. What we've seen today in leadership is that somebody with very small resources can create huge change without any money at all, purely by doing an act or um, collaborating with somebody. So that's one of the biggest trends I've seen in leadership is that people have managed to create positions of power with very small resources. You don't need a lot these days to create change. So I want to add in the other concept of education. You're saying that people can now become um, global leaders or very uh, prominent leaders without having the right kind of money behind them. Do you think we need a traditional education as well as what has been um, perceived to be important in the past in terms of leadership? Do you think we need to do the traditional path, go to university these days? to become a leader? No, not at all. I think the old idea of going to business school, uh, going to a top university or a college is still relevant today, 
uh, I mean, you know, having a qualification is still a very, a very valuable thing, but it's not necessarily the benchmark as to whether you're going to get success in life or not. Um, the old maxim of, uh, you know, who, who you know in life uh, is more important is actually very true today. You find people who are bonded together with uh, like-minded ways of thinking, people who wanting to create positive change in the world. A lot of the time that's good enough for a lot of people, you know, the intent to actually want to do good, to create change, they get together and then they look for the resources afterwards. So, you know, having a, a traditional degree or a diploma or some kind of qualification um, sometimes can actually cripple you because what it's doing is, is looking at solutions from the past and saying, this is what you need for success. This is how you replicate it. And in fact, with things in the industry and jobs changing, uh, by the month, you'll have uh, in a couple of years' time, I can't remember the figure, but there are going to be dozens or hundreds of jobs that used to be around that won't even exist anymore. Mm. So a lot, of the t a lot of the time, universities are training you for an old way of thinking. They're training you for qualifications that, that might not even exist by the time you hit uh, the job market, or half of that information might be redundant by then. It's interesting that you were talking about coming together with people who want to um, solve some of the world's problems and, you know, um, create solutions to some of the challenges. And you talk about that as actually being part of this new form of leadership. So I've, you've said that a real leadership is about being far-sighted, sustainable and focused on solving our most pressing social and environmental problems. So as leadership changes, do you see society changing with it? Do you think that society responds well to this new form of leadership? Are we giving the innovators and the visionaries the space that they need to lead the world forward? I think that we are. And what you've seen with consumers these days is the fact that people are looking very carefully at where their product comes from. They're interested in who made their clothing. They're interested in who uh, grew their food. They're interested in what kind of testing was done on their on their um, their beauty products. They're looking at you know should I be wearing dead animals on my feet as shoes? Mm. Uh, there's all kinds of science and technology now which allows you to grow synthetic leather, which has got nothing to do with animal suffering, uh, or, or made out of the byproducts of animals. So I think innovation is already a trend uh, in among consumers, and big business is looking at this and realizing this is the next big thing. So. It's not a case of do I innovate or shouldn't I innovate. It's a case of you have to innovate to actually be competitive in the market these days. It's not, it's not a luxury that you can decide whether you should or shouldn't. And consumers are demanding it. And a lot of companies are actually showing that new business and growth and, and profit is actually based on these exact things. Wow, what's interesting there is, uh, you know, a lot of my listeners may not necessarily have a career or be pursuing um, some form of leadership role, but as a consumer, we can actually all be part of what leads us forward into new ways of thinking. Exactly. And just remember that every time you spend one cent on anything, you're actually supporting a cause. You're supporting that brand with your spend. So. If you had to decide to buy something um, rather than something else, you've already made a conscious decision to support one brand over another. So even if you're not a big activist, this is not about being an, an activist or suddenly running around the street with a cardboard sign. This is about deciding how you spend your money. And that in itself is a form of activism. And we can do that in so many ways. I, I imagine, too, as, as voters, we are also um, equipped 
with the power that we need to lead society forward into different ways. Yes, exactly. And one of the people I wanted to mention was um, you're never too young to be able to create change. And I spoke a few years ago to a German guy called Felix Finkbeiner, who's a 20-year-old boy. He must be 21 years old now, um, who started planting trees as a school project at age, at age nine. He started doing that. And he's now grown it into a global movement uh, called Plant for the Planet. And he has since planted billions of trees. I think he set out with the goal of a million trees, and he's on a couple of billion. And a couple of weeks back, I was sent an invitation to an event uh, hosted by Prince Albert of Monaco. And they were honoring his work. And I just thought, this started as a school project. And suddenly, he's on a global stage with royalty and with business leaders looking at him going, you know, look what he managed to do um, at an early age before he was even a teenager, he had created this massive awareness about trees and, and the environment. And no doubt, he's, I would guess the future for him is he would probably become some kind of an ambassador for some commercial brand if he needed to turn it into a career. Or he could just build up a foundation around what he's already done. And, you know, he's, he's done that out of a passion for uh, planting trees. As you've just pointed out there and said just before, though, to be a leader in today's world doesn't necessarily mean that you have to head up a corporation, does it? You can you can lead in so many more profound ways um, simply exactly. by cha- by changing your practices and encouraging others to do the same. Now, Grant, you've had the great honor of interviewing some very influential leaders, Oprah, Richard Branson, Forrest Whitaker. Can you place a particular trait or quality that these leaders all imbue, that they all have in common? Or in your experience, do influential leaders all embody leadership in their own unique ways? There is a common thread. Um, You would think that people who are celebrities, who are very high profile, would be a little snobby and a little bit uh, ego-driven. What I found with the people who are leading the most effectively is that that does not exist. They have got zero ego. Um, they haven't let their celebrity status role get to them. And one of the most surprising things out of all the people I've spoken to, the most common response to when I say to them, who has influenced you the most in life? And you expected to be some other celebrity, some other world leader. And most of them have said their mother or father. Wow. And when I spoke to Forrest Whitaker, I discovered that his mother used to be a nurse. He used to work in a uh, home for mentally disabled kids. And sometimes she used to ask Forrest to come and help her. And he used to see her at work um, with these patients and young kids and the empathy that she had. And you would kind of think maybe that's what you leave behind when you grow up and you remember your parents for what they were. But he's always held that empathy he saw in his mother, in his heart. And what he's doing today is he, is, he has started a peace initiative in Sudan. And he's in Sudan on a regular basis, teaching young kids about peace and about tolerance. And he he relates that directly to what he saw his mother doing when he was younger. And the other person whose father influenced her greatly was Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx. Mm. She is one of the world's richest women, multi-billionaire. And her father said to her when she was young, every Friday at the dinner table, he used to ask her, what have you failed at this week? And you would think in most houses, if you had a parent asking you what you felt at all the time, that would push your, your self-esteem down greatly. But in fact, what it did was it forced her to evaluate her failures and see how she could improve. And by facing those fears and those failures, it actually made her stronger. 
And she built up a resilience to, to failure, purely from her father asking her that question. So when she finally stumbled on, on the idea for Spanx, which was basically, I think she cut off a pair of uh, pantyhose, cut the legs off and put them on and said, oh, this looks great. And she turned it into a multi-billion dollar industry. So I think, um, you know, never think that your parents haven't influenced you in some way. As much as you think that it's part of your formative years and that you've moved on from that, and, you know, that your career and your, your family that you, you create one day is going to be different. I think there are seeds that are planted when you're young by your parents that um, will carry you through. So I think that's the message I learned that as a parent myself with two young boys, I'm very aware of every single thing I say to them because I know it's going to be forming them in some way down the line. Absolutely. That's what I can see is desperately important in what you just said there is that when we are parents, we need to take that responsibility very carefully because we are literally leaders. There are, And there are other occasions, I think, where we are leading without even realizing that we're doing so. Every time we're in a situation where someone is looking to us for our, our example, um, every time someone is looking up to us in terms of being inspired by us or wanting to follow in our footsteps, we are literally leading. And right. perhaps if we hold that thought um, top of mind, then we can be really careful about the examples that we are setting, that we be really careful about the behaviors that we are condoning so, right. that, so that those who look up to us or those who uh, want to follow us mm. are actually following us into a more sort of positive path forward. Exactly. And I don't think it's something uh, which only happens when you're young and you only have one shot at it. I had um, an interview with Buzz Aldrin two years ago Mm-hmm. And he's 88 years old now. Everyone knows him as somebody who walked on the moon. He was the second person in the world to work, walk on the moon. And you would think, well, he's probably just in comfortable retirement and, you know, he's got all these stories and he's achieved what he needs to do. But just before I started speaking to him, he was uh, arguing with somebody in the office about a whole lot of equations. And he was, you know, saying S1, L1 is the way to go and whatever else they're doing is a waste of time. And I didn't know what he was talking about. Anyway, I found out afterwards that what he was actually doing was arguing with somebody about the trajectory to Mars. (laughs) And I just thought to myself, goodness, if an 88-year-old is still, there's no chance of him ever going to Mars, but he's still passionate about what he does. And his life's mission is is to push the boundaries, and he's still doing it at age 88. He's decided that he's going to be useful and lead and do what he can right until the end. So I don't necessarily think that you're only good as a leader when you're young or in your prime, in your 30s and 40s and 50s. I think, you know, for people who retired and they've already had a, had a whole um, career, there's still opportunity for you to use that in different ways. You've actually shown us through your examples there that it doesn't matter what age you are, you still have a potential to lead. You can be a nine-year-old boy starting to plant trees. You can be 88-year-old astronaut um, making changes and pushing back in the way that they make decisions at NASA. I want to get to you, though, Grant. So over the years, have you found that you are stepping into your own leadership role and either professionally or personally as you grow older, as you meet uh, different sorts of people around the world, do you feel that you have expanded your leadership potential in some way? Yes, I certainly have. I think one of the things I learned was the humbleness I mentioned earlier, where you get surprised at people who have accomplished so much are actually so humble. 
Um, I've become more open to new ideas, new ways of thinking. I do travel a lot, so I do see a lot of cultures and, and you know, different ways of thinking about the world. And I think the joy of publishing is just the huge diversity of people and thought that you come across. And speaking to many of the world's business leaders and, uh, and world leaders, I've just realized that you have to start somewhere, however small. It's not about jumping in with a big splash. That You just need to start somewhere and it will grow from there. And that the most important thing is to actually surround yourself with like-minded people. It's so important to do that because I'm a firm believer in you become what you see around you. Mm-hmm. And the people you choose to, to surround yourself with are the people you ultimately become. So it's so important to choose your company um, in whichever way you are predisposed as a leader and just to stay around them. And you will discover that you learn things that you never thought you would, you would ever realize. Um, it's certainly not someone else's job to, to make you into a leader. It's something you have to do yourself and it's got to come from inside. That's really interesting because I think a lot of people would assume that if you're going to be a leader, you surround yourself with people who will follow you. But you've just pushed back on that idea. So you're saying that we should perhaps surround ourselves with people who inspire us. Exactly. If you look at most of the big leaders in the world, I mean, think of, uh, I'm from South Africa. If you think of Nelson Mandela, Mm -hmm. he spent most of his career in jail. That didn't stop people from following him. No. Um, People couldn't even see him. He was locked away on an island. So, you know, you, don't, you can lead uh, through symbolic um, change and through symbolic leadership. And, you know, the fact that people know that you're around and know that you're doing certain things can inspire people to leadership too. It doesn't have to be a direct one-on-one with people sometimes either. Uh, one of the best examples I use um, on leadership and getting on with it in South Africa, you have two different types of beggars at the traffic lights. You get the ones that are standing there with a cardboard sign looking sorry for themselves, and they're just expecting a handout. Mm-hmm. And there are other beggars who've decided to become innovative, and some of them will stand there with a plastic bag collecting trash from your car. Um, and they're offering you a service. They're cleaning your windscreen. Um, they're telling you a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, 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 quite, it's quite profound when you see how people who have got nothing are actually, you, you have a choice of either becoming the victim or you have a choice of, stepping up and uh, becoming innovative and finding a solution to how you're going to get yourself out of the situation. So I think right from from that example, right through to a top business leader, I think there are lessons to be learned uh, in a similar way. It sounds like you're saying there's leadership potential in all of us. Um, it's just about stepping out of that victim role or that follower role or the apathy of someone else will change this and, and deciding that you have the strength and the courage and the potential to do it yourself that's right now that leads me to um a midnight epiphany i had a couple of nights ago (laughs) awake in the middle of the night and i had a realization that being a leader so in our own lives and our families and our own communities being a leader can be as simple as simply being the first so be the first to say hello to your neighbors or be the first to reject plastic at the supermarket be the first to welcome a refugee family into your home for dinner Uh, are there ways in your experience that we can enhance our leadership potential in small personal ways um, ways that may not even look to yourself to be a form of leadership but they will have a big Im- impact on the world overall. Sure. I think one of the biggest things that holds most people back is fear. Mm. Fear of standing out, fear of being the first to do something. And a lot of people just don't realize that 
the the reception you will get is not necessarily negative. People believe that stepping out of their comfort zone, stepping out of their societal norms, what will the neighbors think? What will my boss think? What will my co-workers think? Can hold people back. And I think, you know, there are too many constraints in society that have been created that, that bring fear into, into what you do. Mm. And it's quite refreshing and liberating to do something small, as I said earlier, just something small and getting a positive feedback to make you realize you can take the next step confidently, that you don't need to always um, be constrained by what society is saying and doing and that you can actually do it. It's, it really is as simple as starting something, something small. That's a really powerful thing you're saying there because I think the other thing that can freeze us into apathy and inaction is the idea that we have something that we want to see change in the world and we believe that we have the ability to change it except that the problem's too big. And yes. I, I alone can't change that enormous challenge out there. But can we apply that principle of just start small to something like that? Uh, yes, I think it's looking around your neighbourhood and identifying a problem. If uh, if Unilever, for an example, has looked around the world and discovered social problems and decided to change their products accordingly to mm. to make money and solve problems at the same time, there's no reason why you shouldn't look around your your neighbourhood and you know look at a, a derelict building and decide to, to do something about it. Uh, look at some homelessness, hunger. Uh, look at um, People who might need advice. It doesn't have to be a, a big social charity type thing. It, it could be offering your services uh, for free to an individual or an organization that needs your help. And from there, you will actually find a cause or a meaning that might lead to, to phase two of what you're trying to achieve. Mm. But I think just offering your skills, as small as they are, to, to any uh, charity, philanthropy, any benefits, any social cause that's out there, um, just taking the first step in offering your services, volunteering, um, just doing anything will actually allow you to start engaging on the problem. And when you start talking to the people who do that full time, you might actually have some fresh perspective for them as to what they're doing and how they could improve. Uh, a lot of people look at things from the outside and think, well, they must know what they're doing. They don't need my help. Mm. But you'd be surprised when you actually you know, point out a small fact to them of how they might do something differently when then you get a really good response from it and you suddenly realize that they didn't actually know 100% what they were doing and that your idea is actually worth um, considering. I think too um, it's important for us all to realize that every sweeping social change out there actually started with one or two or a few people in their isolated communities deciding that they were going to lead in a different way, that they were going to make different choices or um, adopt different behaviours. Finally, Grant, this mm. question is one that I ask all of my guests. And I'm wondering if you can suggest to my listeners a morning reminder. So this can be a mantra or a daily practice or a ritual that can help them affirm and embrace their natural leadership potential each morning? Well, as much as I would like to, I don't meditate. Um, but what I do every morning is I exercise. Mm. And I do find that it focuses my mind. Uh, it makes, certainly makes me feel much better about myself. And I think feeling good about yourself physically makes solutions naturally like rise to the surface. Um, it's a great way of de-stressing. 
And I think natural endorphins also give you that confident, energized, and happy personality, which is so important to attracting the right people and the right business uh, to yourself. So it might sound like a very simplistic um, solution, but it certainly works for me. And when I'm on the move, um, ideas come to me. I think when you focus too much on a problem that you're trying to resolve, it can actually overwhelm you or you, it freezes you up. And I just mm. find mo moving when you're not actually focusing on the problem and you've still got that problem you need to solve, but it's not the center of your, of your morning. It seems to, um, to help me resolve that problem a lot easier. Well, that sounds really simple. As so many of my morning reminders have been, um, so simple and yet incredibly powerful. Grant Shriver, how do people get a hold of you? You have a publication called Real Leaders. And if people want to learn more about that, where should they go? Um, they can go to real-leaders.com if they'd like to find out more about the magazine. It's a sustainable business and leadership magazine that's been going for about 12 years now. And we're always trying to look for amazing stories of individuals, companies, and organizations that are creating positive change in the world and making a profit at the same time. I'd love to hear from anyone who has some great ideas. A very honorable cause that you are heading up there, that you are leading there, Grant. Thank you so much for being with us today. And um, I hope you have a fantastic evening there in Portland. Thank you very much, Kim. It's been great speaking to you. Henry Kissinger once said, a leader does not deserve the name unless he is willing occasionally to stand alone. You've been listening to the Eudaimonia podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how to live a truly flourishing life, please subscribe and check out eudaimoniapod.com for more inspiring episodes. I'm Kim Forrester. Until next time, be well, be kind to yourself, and never be afraid to stand up and take the lead. <laughs>